0: Welcome to the Opera Biz Podcast, uncut and unfiltered, where we hang out with opera professionals and talk about life inside the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Welch. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Of course. Again, was totally floored by Porky and Bass. Loved it. Uh, Adored your performances. Thank you. The level of stage presence and charisma you have up there is dynamic. I was talking to a friend of mine. I was like, one of my favorite things about your character is that you often kind of creep around in the shadows just a little bit until you want to make your presence known, but you're so strong on stage that I can't <laughs> not see you anyway. I'm like, there he is. He's gonna do something. I know <laughs> something's coming up. I actually, anytime
1: I'm in those sections too, I walk on and like, don't, don't draw attention. Don't draw attention. Don't draw attention. But then I get the
0: character, I'm like, oh shit, I probably drew attention again. But it's great because that's, I mean, that's what that character needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I mean, the funny thing with the quote-unquote villains in this show is there really aren't many of them. And you look at the, sh- the sheer volume of the cast, like the number of the cast members, compared to the villains. The villains have to have a stage presence that is dominating. Yeah. And you have to be able to take control of that stage. Otherwise, it logically doesn't make any sense. you are like, all right, so we've got 40 people over here who are like... No. And he keeps doing it. Like, well, he would just get run out of there. Exactly. Unless you've got that gravitas that would be required in that real situation mm-hmm. for people to be like, okay, I can't quite touch this myself. We're going to get somebody else to take care of this scenario. And you brought that to the stage. And well, thank loved you. And I love that. So, thank bravo. You.
1: Yeah. That took a lot of practice, too. Yeah. Figuring out how to, like, rest um, just how to grab everybody like that when you get onto the stage. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you have to do that as either Sport in Life or Crown. You have to be a strong, dominating present yeah. that is still, like, for my character, you still have to be liked. There has to be right. something that prevents people from kicking him out outright. Right. You know, except for that one scene with Mariah. Yeah. But at the same time, he is still just a selfish person. Mm-hmm. He has to be evil. And I, that's just something I've been playing with this, in, this entire time. Like my, it ain't necessarily so. I think of the calf aria. Yeah. Like I just want it to be like a spell that I'm casting on the entire community. Yes. Like they love me. They love me. I don't love them though. You right. know, they're like a plaything to me. Yes. Yeah. And it's something that you're right. It has to be set apart from everybody
0: else. Mm-hmm. I like the perspective that you need, to, you need to bring them to you. Yeah. But you don't give a shit about them. Exactly. Because you need to get what you want and then you're gonna move on.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I, as, um, as I was working on this, I got an email from the Gershwin Initiative and they said, um, we want you to try something that Gershwin always wanted and we don't know if anybody ever quite got it right. We want, or Gershwin wanted Sport and Life to be the most Mephistophelian character not called Mephistopheles. Yeah. And that was what I was thinking about the entire time. Yes. Like, what does that mean? He has to be watching everything. He has to be cold and calculating constantly. Mm -hmm. You know, it requires a lot of focus, too, especially in that storm scene when I only have one line the entire time, but I have to
0: be present. Right.
1: Yeah. How
0: many times have you done this role? I mean, how many productions have you done in this role?
1: Well, I did this production in London and in Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. and I did another production in the same production of Francesca Zambello's production. I did that in Glimmerglass, I wanna say 2015 or 16, and that was the first time I did the role. Okay. And I did it again this summer in Cincinnati. So this is my fifth
0: time doing it. So you, I mean, that's a lot of shows in this one character. Yeah. you've lived with this guy for a long time. So (laughs) long, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. How do you keep, how do you keep the character fresh? It's, you know what, honestly, it's
1: easier than you would think. Mm I find that it's not fresh when my energy gets too high, okay. Because I I I'm a buoyant person, yeah. And it's very easy for people to cheer for me and not boo me, yeah. And so I just have to make sure that I I stay focused. Mm. Like if I find myself moving around too much on stage, if I find myself enjoying actually, if I find myself enjoying myself too much, then in my head I immediately say slow down, yeah. And I have to slow everything down, like. Everything, even my eyes, Mm -hmm. like I just have to slow even my focus down to just like one thing for a full minute to just bring down the weight of what the character should be. And once I get down to that point, once I weigh myself down a little bit more and like even slow down my steps a little bit more and imagine just like how a snake would move. I think about like the physicality of a serpent Mm -hmm. in this role a lot and like how a serpent just like will slide, slide, slide and strike. Yes. And once I bring myself, my energy down and once I get that physicality into things, it's I find myself again. But, not, but I do find that there are oftentimes, especially in the first scene in the opera where I'm just enjoying myself too much because the community of Porgy and Bess is, is so real. We yeah. all have so much fun on stage. <laughs> and like, especially once you start moving and dancing, sometimes you just can't help but smiling and to get into it. And I and I enjoy moving. I love dancing. And it's you, t- you have to fight so hard you have to fight that instinct of instinct of just like oh yeah we're all just dancing together Uh you know you have to stay above it what's your what's your favorite part about playing that character um honestly how evil he is my favorite part is the bow when i when i come out to bow and everybody boos me is my favorite part
0: That's like, so when you know you've been real success as a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, and when they
1: don't boo me, I get so upset. Like, my friends are all, like, I walk off stage, and I'm like, guys, they obviously didn't like me. They didn't boo. And my friends are like, you really don't think about this the right way. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, I would say uh, there's one scene in the first, the first act, yeah, uh, when I come on right after Bess has had the lawyer Fraser scene, or it could be after the buzzard scene, depending on the production. And it's just quintessential sport in life. He comes out low, Bess, and the music's so playful, you know? Mm-hmm. But under that music has to be the malice. Has to be, like, he's coming out like he's her friend. Like, hey, girl, you know what? You don't need any of this right here. We can go out and have ourselves a good time elsewhere. But the entire time he's talking about like using her as a prostitute or getting her hooked onto drugs, but yeah. he does it with a smile on his face, yeah. you know, and just playing that playing that contradiction, oh, I always find very fun. And then, of course, it ain't necessarily so. That aria is always so much fun. It's in this production. That is fantastic. It is. It is fantastic. And I love that, in, like, I improv a lot, um, but I improv within... A set of rules that I have, mm-hmm. that I've established. Because um, I do want to try to trip up the chorus, but this chorus in particular is too good. And I think I mentioned this in another interview the other day, once we were in rehearsal and I wasn't warmed up and I sang it necessarily so. And I've done the role so much that like, I can sing that aria not warm, I would never do it in, in a performance of course. Mm-hmm. But I was in the rehearsal and I did it not warm and I went up to a, a high note that I interpolated and I think it was either a B or a B flat and it was, if it was a, if I was trying to sing a B, it was certainly a B flat. It was, like, just straight up <laughs> a half step flat. And the chorus, like, I was totally prepared for this chorus to, like, totally trip me up. Because they're that quick and that good. And some of them did actually, like, only go up to the half note. Like, they knew, the, <laughs> they knew exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> and they just decided to throw it the middle finger. That's <laughs> and awesome. B flat. But, um, <laughs> uh, I that's one of my favorite parts, just knowing that I can come up with something and an entire group of people behind me are going to be there supporting me and just Mm -hmm. really going with it. And also, like, the movement in that is also improvised as well. And improvised in that I... I'll try to decide what I'm going to do in the five minutes before I go on stage. I'll start like dancing backstage and try to figure out what moves I'm going to give them that day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I remember what I was going to do and sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. So the show before last, I remembered everything and like that was great. And the last show I got so confused. And so I started doing (laughs) I gave them some curveballs. Like I remember that like I did this one spin in the first half of it. And then when we got to the repeat again, I did some different moves, and everyone was like, oh, God, what do I do? And I was like, oh, I'll spin. And mid-spin, I realized I had already spun, and I was like, okay, I'll drop it like it's hot. And so I was like, mid-spin, and then dropped to the ground. And they were all like, okay, look. You, you can't just start doing things like this to us, okay? Like, we haven't stretched, we're not prepared.
0: And I, that's cool to me, just knowing that they're there and they're going to have to do whatever. I, I didn't them. realize that there was that much room for improvisation with the movement mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, Camille... Um, Camille uh, watched
1: me play with it a few times. But mm-hmm. honestly, um, when Camille and I got to the scene, she was like, I kind of just like the way that you move and the way that you tend to control them. Let's just keep playing like that. So that was very loosely staged. Like we all, we have um, what the dancers will be doing in the middle, which is just miming things out. And outside of that, it's just wherever I want it to be. Yeah. You know? And everybody has to go with that so
0: depending on freddie's mood you could get something totally different i love that's the beauty of live theater you know you're not going to get that when you do 15 takes of it you're all try, it's trying to be meticulously perfect each time like i like that freedom that that liberty to toy with what's happening on stage exactly because having been somebody on stage who is supporting a principal character like that You have to be so much more aware of what's going on, and it really brings you into that specific performance. And then, as a performer, then you have highlights. If you look through your career, you you have highlights of stuff that you really enjoyed that you did. Yeah. That were uniquely you. (laughs) Yes. Yes, definitely. As opposed to, do this, 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 and this, and then you followed the pattern yeah you know
1: well I think I've been very lucky and I mean I'm very young so my career has been short but I've been very lucky in that most directors that I've worked with have sensed that I'm comfortable mm-hmm. um with on stage and they give me a lot of freedom yeah so a lot of the things that I have done have been me yeah have been variations of me I try to find as much of myself
0: right on the stage as I can well at the same time being able to embrace a character that's the opposite of the way you look at life. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Which, it's, it's funny, some people have a real hard time playing a villain, and some people have, find a lot of um, liberty in playing a villain, because, like, I mean, I've, I've played Giovanni, mm-hmm. and I have never snuck into somebody's room to rape them, nor kill their father. <laughs> also, I haven't slept with several thousand women mm-hmm. in Europe, you know but the the way he treats people is not the way that i treat people and and the borderline sociopathic behavior that he has yeah. is not the way i look at the world and rather than saying i can't do this this is so not who i am there's a strength in saying because this isn't who i am i can go further and i think that's something that's come with me doing the role enough yes. you know i it took a long
1: time i think it took about two productions for me to finally step away from Freddie enough to say, okay, I know I would never do any of these things. Mm-hmm. I know that this is like not who I am. Yeah. And just like to, to know that my, my colleagues knew, knew that as well. So I, in in the moment on stage, I don't necessarily have to ask for permission or forgiveness because they understand like this right. disgusting thing that I've probably done. It's <laughs> just like a character choice for that moment, yeah. you know? Like the other, yesterday, uh, we had a show yesterday and yesterday, um, I was walking up to Denise during our little scene at the front of the stage, and I was walking up to her, and <laughs> I wanted to blow smoke at her or something. I always try to do something, like something rude to her, just at that point. But just to this time, provoke I was her like, just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, just to provoke her a little bit, but at this time I was like, <laughs> and instead of like blowing smoke or anything like that, I just took my cigarette and I like dipped the ash onto her like bosom and then walked away. <laughs> I wanted to cringe. I wanted to cringe. It was so nasty. It was so disgusting. But Denise got me back. She, like, knocked the cigarette right out of my hand. Uh, Once I walked (laughs) away, she walked (laughs) back over and knocked it out of my hand. And I was like, good, good. She was ready for me. Things you would never do to her in real life. Ever. Denise Graves, she would stomp you.
0: Right? (laughs) (laughs) Size is not an issue there. It doesn't matter how small she is. No, it does not. (laughs) (laughs) The community for this show seems so strong compared to, I mean, just visible on stage, but uh, knowing so many people in the cast and having heard a bunch of stories from rehearsals and that kind of stuff, um, I obviously can have heard firsthand about how tight the crew is, the the team is for the show, but it reads on stage. It's so much energy and so much support all the time. It's really beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it's just a very
1: common thing of black community. Like if you go to black church, you will have if you go to a black church you will have like a buoyant joyful community like that it's just i i don't know what that where that comes from but there's something that's always there Mm -hmm. and i know it was like that for me being in church it's been like that with any type of when i was in another show it was um appomattox it was a remake of a philip glass show that we did at washington national opera in 2015 and that was quite similar because it was like half the cast was black and we did bring that type of community to Mm -hmm. it and everybody at the Met has been commenting on it like the everything just feels brighter because we all I don't know we just love there's a buoyancy there's a joy there's just a freedom and then it's also there's a, there's a reverence and gratefulness to all be here together, yeah. you know? That's a very special thing. You have to, uh, everyone recognizes that to have this many African-Americans or just people of Black descent on the stage at the same time is a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. And so we're all just grateful. And then like also everyone in the cast is secure in themselves. It's not like crabs in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody even in the chorus, it's the chorus of soloists. This chorus, oh my God, okay, the sound of this, uh, this chorus, that's just ridiculous. They mm-hmm. sound amazing. But they're all soloists. So like, they're all chill, they know they got it. And so we don't ha- there's no competition at all amongst yeah. any of us you know I I know if something ever happens to me there are about four or five other sporting lives in that cast you know yeah but I don't feel any competition with any of those guys mm-hmm. it's just it, we feel like a family and that definitely carries on to the stage when we're there together that's why I said it's hard to like stay focused sometimes and to actually stay in the character because like i have so many people that i love on this stage yeah. every day that i just want to like <laughs> pal around with and like chill with them like oh my god i haven't seen you since two days ago girl let's but here we are on stage let me bring it back <laughs> back in you know um but it, you're right it is there all the time yeah all the time it was in one of the most beautiful excuse me and one of the most beautiful moments actually uh was one of the most hardest it was, was one of the hardest moments and that was the night that jesse norman died yeah and having all of those people of color on the stage the night that Jesse Norman died was a very very powerful moment but that was also a moment where we came together as a community to get it done mm-hmm. and it was very difficult for many of us so there was there were a lot of tears going on backstage there was a lot of like there was we had trouble yeah we had a lot of trouble getting through that show initially but it was our community that kept us together that kept it going I know that I would never have like considered like opera a thing for black people had I not seen Jesse Norman performing when I was very young, yeah. you know? I never would have imagined that for myself had I not seen women like Jesse Norman and, and, and Leontine Price when I was younger. So that meant a lot for me, but it meant a lot for all of us because that was a story that we all shared. Yeah, I think Janae ended up coming to the show uh, just to be with us that night uh, as did John Holliday. Mm-hmm. He also just came just to be with us because like, like I said, we are a community. Yeah. And we all, we band together when we need to. And that was one of the times that we definitely needed each other. Yeah. Um, that is, even if I, I've always wanted to meet Jessie Norman, that was like one of my dreams. I was sure she was going to come to opening night. I really <laughs> wanted to meet her at opening night. I didn't know the status <laughs> of her health, but I was like, okay, yeah. maybe Jessie and Lean Team will be there and I can finally meet these women. And um, yeah, to, it, it was very heartbreaking to know that, like, this person who's just a pillar of black music for me was gone, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. that was very difficult.
0: So let's go back a bit. What took you to classical music, to opera? Because there are so many different directions you can go in music and yeah. this is such a very niche career path.
1: Um, <clears throat> I was in a, well, I grew up in the church. And so I always sang. My entire family sang, my dad sang off key, my mom sang beautifully, um, and I was forced to sing too. Somehow my siblings got out of it. I don't think my little brother ever really sang and neither did my big sister, but my parents found out I had a slight talent and they picked me <laughs> up to the entire church. I had to sing for everything growing up when I was a little boy soprano. And one day my mom woke me up when I was in middle school and she was like, wake up, you have an audition for the performing arts high school. And I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm just going to go back to bed. Do I have to? And she was like, are you talking back to me? And I was like, oh, no, ma'am, I'm getting up. I was a military family. We didn't talk back. And so I jumped up. She made me put on a suit, a whole entire suit. And I get down to this audition and I'm literally the only kid in a suit. And I felt so embarrassed and I hated it. And so when I got inside to the audition, I was in a boys choir at the time. So I had songs that I could do just from the boys choir from like, um, my solo parts. Mm-hmm. I think I did like Panis Angelicus or P.A. or something like that. And <clears throat> after I sing, the two guys, um, Robert Fish, I mean, excuse me, Robert Brown and Alan Fisher uh, asked, um, uh, so Freddie, uh, why do you want to come to the governor's school? And I was like, uh, well, I don't really know who you are or Or what you are like uh, what is this place what is it? it i was just so frustrated at being there and i was probably trying to sabotage it a little bit and they were like um okay well um this is the governor's school for the arts we we teach singing here i was like oh that sounds cool and they were like um okay so freddie how do you feel the governor's school could help you to improve your singing and i was just a blatantly honest kid like i didn't have a filter still don't have a filter (laughs) and I didn't know about voice lessons so I was like Uh um I don't know how I could be any better than I already am so like (laughs) can you help me (laughs) and like I don't know what they were thinking I don't know why the hell they said yes to this kid but like they let me into the school and um from day one like it was all opera like and I didn't know anything about opera Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything and uh I remember like one of the things they said, was like, okay, you have to make sure you um, give like this amount of money to pay for all your scores. And I was like, Ugh, like pearls clutch scores. Sorry. I don't do sports. What are scores? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And like that day we started singing something from, from Le and and uh, we did something from butterfly. The girl did something from butterfly. And like, I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. I love this. Um, but I was a boy soprano mm-hmm. and so I was very realistic I was, and I was like I, well, I mean if my voice changes I may not be good anymore because I saw another guy's voice change and he wasn't good anymore so I um, I got through my freshman year singing soprano my sophomore year I came back in and I tried to sing something with the girls, and they were like, well, you can't, it's only with the girls, you gotta go sing with the boys and do the first dinner line. And I started singing first tenor, and I was like, oh, uh, Mr. Brown, this is too high. He was like, Frederick, no, it's too low, babe, that's what you mean. And I was like, no, uh, no, it's too high. And he was like, okay, well, here, sing it. And I tried to sing it, and he was like, interesting. And then <laughs> he started just, like, making the key lower and lower, and he was like, oh, your voice changed. You didn't know your voice changed. And I was like... It didn't, it wasn't changed yesterday. I, I don't know. <laughs> it like, shit <showed> up <laughs> overnight, like a, like a chest voice had creeped in under my falsetto, which yeah. I just was reinforcing. Yeah. And once I realized that I was somewhat talented as um, a baritone back then, I just kept going. So, um, graduated high school. Um, I went to uh, Cincinnati Conservatory for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stayed a baritone the entire time I was there. I killed it as a baritone. That was a good baritone. My mind's zanin. Yeah. It's one of the best you've ever heard, man. <laughs> I loved it. And everybody was like, that's too easy. <laughs> and yep. I was like, no, nope, yep. don't mess with me, all right? My baritone is just fine. And they were like, no, you're a tenor. And so I got to grad school, and I was like, okay, look, everybody's been saying it for years. Let's just try switching. So um, I was with—I got to Rice University. I was with uh, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And we switched to tenor. And as soon as I switched, everybody was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, the baritone thing was cute, but you're a tenor. Right. And um, that was a slow slow painful transition which was very depressing if you ever transition it is a depressing thing because you identify so much with what you were Mm -hmm. like you for some reason it sounds so singery but for some reason you start to build who you are especially when you start singing so young you build who you are about around your voice for some reason Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I was a tenor and I was like wait wait but I don't even look like a
0: tenor what do I do like which is the dumbest thing ever right right? (laughs) (laughs) but but then all of a sudden you're saying who am I yeah. When, as a singer, especially as an opera singer, you're already going through that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But then to just exponentially throw that, like, okay, everything I identified with now is gone. Right. The person that I thought I,
1: like, the the rep I thought I'd do. The like, characters I thought I'd the play. The look that I had, like, it was all one thing. Yeah. And so anyway, I became a tenor. And around that time, too, that I switched to tenor, I decided that it was time for me to lose weight. I was around 120 pounds heavier mm-hmm. at the time. And I think it was Diane Zola who was like, mm. as a tenor, like you may want to change up your body a little bit more just try to look more romantic on the stage. And I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And actually, I lost weight quite easily. I got a nutritionist. She helped me out with portion sizes, and I started working out a lot. Um, and started lifting eventually as well. And... Um, so around my third year, of, I did three years of my master's uh, because I transitioned, so they gave me some extra time. Around my third year, I like got to around the size I am now, I ended up at LA Opera's Young Artist Program for mm-hmm. about two years. And I was very lucky, I was freelancing while I was at the program, too. So um, that's when I left uh, to go do Appomattox with uh, DC. Yeah. And, while I was at D.C., I started talking to the Young Artist Program people at D.C. It was then Michael Heaston. And um, the whole time I was there, I was telling them that I kind of wanted to break out of the Heldenten rep that I was only doing at L.A. And that was the way that they were guiding me, and which made sense, coming out of being a baritone with like such a darker timbre yeah. to my voice yeah. and a limited top at that point in time as well. And I was like, I feel like I need to try singing Ita- Italian rap. I think that if I actually just did it, it would help. And they were like, well you're welcome here and you can try it. And so um, they invited me into the Young Artist Program at Washington National, so I did two years at L.A. and then I went to the Domingo K. Fritz Program at Washington National, did two years there. And I started freelancing the moment I got out and ended up being in Europe for most of last year. Mm -hmm. uh, And now we're here. I've only been out of the YAP for, I guess, uh, this is my second year. You're with Fletcher artist,
0: right? Yes, I am. Yeah, The fam. The fam. (laughs) So real quick, you mentioned lifting. Have you, this is one of those things that I've discussed with some people that I know some people really wanna start lifting weights. They're afraid of what the tension might bring to their voice, that kind of stuff. Is that anything you've, ever, you've dealt with or do you lift a specific way so that that's not a factor? Um, I think
1: earlier on mm-hmm. I had to deal with that. Um, it depends on the role as well though, what I'm singing at that point in time. Yeah. Um, when I first started lifting, I did the dumbest thing. Um, what was that, my senior year, I mean, excuse me, my third year of master's. The day of my recital, I was like, I'm going to lift weights. And it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like, I cracked on every single high note. And it's not because I lifted necessarily, it was because I didn't condition my body mm-hmm. to get used to lifting and singing. Yeah. And so my opinion is, and actually I, I've spoken to a lot of other guys, especially tenors, because there is so much pressure right. um, in the upper body when you lift. Okay. Um, and we, most of us have found that like you can still lift when, if you're a singer, mm-hmm. and you can still bulk up if you're a singer, but you have to condition yourself. You have to recognize that there are some t- workouts that you simply cannot do mm-hmm. before you sing. Like, I would never do a chest workout before I had to sing that day at all, okay. you know? I could maybe do a shoulder workout. Yeah. I can definitely do a back or a leg workout. But you just you figure out what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. along the way. But it, it's all about conditioning. It's all about just, like, getting your feet a little bit wet and then doing more and figuring out where your limits are. But you have to figure that out. And it's d- great, it's best to do it in the rehearsal process because right. you don't realize also, like how much your body has to change the way it's working depending on the role you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you're singing, when I was singing um, Don Jose, it's it sat lower, so like I didn't really need to have so much flexibility here, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, I'm sure, I mean I'm doing my first Rodolfo next season, and I'm sure when I'm doing that I'm gonna have to scale back on my weights a lot because I need a little bit more flexibility and freedom, you know, right. because of the tessitura. Yeah. But uh, it changes from, Show to show. For Sport and Life, I don't really have to worry about it as much. Yeah. I still wouldn't do a chest workout before I had to sing. Yeah. But for the most part, like, I enjoy a
0: workout before Sport and Life because he is so physical. Yes. Definitely. I get that. Um, you you mentioned that you were, that you sang uh, in one of the other productions of Akhenaten. how How is Akhenaten for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a, such a unique show.
1: It's so trippy. Mm-hmm. It is so trippy. But the way that, Phelan McDermott has staged it is pretty much perfect. He's taken, you know, um, I feel like if you don't have the right direction with the glass opera because of uh, the minimalist quality of it, you, you feel like there is a tension buildup, but you don't know to where it's supposed to have gone. Yeah. But Phelan has been so smart in that. He's like, OK, well, then let's just take here's point A, here's point B. And in a normal space in opera, we would have gotten to point B within two minutes. And Philip Glass is going to take 20 minutes for us to get to point B. Right. And if point B means that you have to walk from one side of the stage to the next, then let's just stretch that out. And so he, like, the entire thing is in slow motion. Okay. Which means that the buildup of tension... Mm-hmm is insane Mm -hmm. it's insane you just want something to happen so bad and you know something's going to happen but it's going to take five minutes for it to happen and you're just (laughs) sitting there watching it like oh my god he's going to choke him but you and you know he's going to because like his hands are right there but it's going to take forever to get there and i i across the board everyone who i spoke to when we when we did in la loved it Mm -hmm. it was one of my favorite productions of all time and Phelan also is one of those uh directors who who truly believes that if we all don't love each other on the stage then it's gonna then it's gonna carry yeah and if you were playing people that don't get along it's just not gonna work out so he spends the beginning of every rehearsal process like feeling each other if, I, if that makes sense yeah like, feeling each other's energy like we'll all get into a circle we'll have a ball in our hand and like the ball comes to you and you say one thing that's happening happened to you today and how it made you feel mm-hmm. and then you pass it on and like in 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 this business, especially, right, it feels like an acting exercise for yeah. undergrad, which we all resent. Right. And so I think like that first rehearsal, we were all like, Ugh, I don't feel like telling you about my feelings. Right. Sorry. And then like the second re- rehearsal, I was like, okay, I kind of need to get this off my chest. And then the third rehearsal, I was like, oh my god, it's so wonderful to be with all of you all talking about our feelings, because he just he created such an open and beautiful environment to create art. Yeah. Um, and that carried on to the stage. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think it is a beautiful production. It's also just visually stunning. Shun the choreographer, and he leads a juggling troupe throughout the entire thing. And the things that they're doing throughout the show as well, like that was one of the tough things about being in it. And having to perform because you like jugglers you can't are be doing, distracted by what else is on stage. Jugglers are doing amazing <laughs> things around you. You just want to whip your head around, but like, Ooh, slow motion. Got to do that in slow motion too. What are you ha- What's happening? Um, but no, brilliant production. I loved it.
0: Awesome. I'm really looking forward to the production here. I'm I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, and it's a stacked cast too. What are oh you doing? Because you've got one more show for Porgy, mm-hmm. and then you're off until
1: January. Yes, I'll be uh, doing. An Ossietto and flute at LA Opera. Okay, and uh, I have a Messiah in New Jersey with my good friend Roderick Cox and Janae Bridges. I think Sarah Schaefer's the soprano, and I forget who the baritone is. But we're doing Messiah together in New Jersey, and then I'll be back here for Porgy again. Nice. Yeah. And nice. after that, um, I'm gonna run away to do Charlie Parker's Yardbird at Seattle. Mm-hmm. I'll be Charlie Parker in that, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to do my first Hoffmann, which was one of my dream roles. Nice. Yeah. And I'm so excited. Like, that's another acting role, you yeah. know? Oh, That totally. character has to be true, totally fleshed out, both vocally and dramatically. Yep. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And then I have a little bit of break. I'll go to my happy place. I'm going to go to Berlin for, for, for a week or so. Um, Berlin is my happy Berlin place. Berlin is your happy place? Oh, my God, I love that city. I just need to get over there. Yeah. yeah Yeah, you should I think it's the best city in the world but I also like I love the nightlife yeah you know I love the bars and the clubs in Berlin and I'm still at the age where I love going out still you know I mean within reason of course never during a production I'm so well behaved but so well it's painful it's painful being well behaved I just (laughs) want to go out and go like Wednesday is our last show and I can't wait for the Saturday following that Wednesday (laughs) it's gonna be so fun (laughs) um but berlin is great for that and the food in berlin is so good yeah. and the like it's a very young that's not the right word it's bohemian yeah. like i had the most hilarious like expat bohemian christmas in berlin this year with my cousin aaron reader he's in the chorus here actually um and he lives in berlin and so it was the two of us with a whole bunch of random kids mostly from the states but honestly from all over the world yeah and we all just had the the, like, most hilarious Christmas dinner, like, potluck type of thing, and then we all brought... And then we all went to, like, Bergheim afterwards. Like, on Christmas Day at Bergheim, which is... If you've heard of Bergheim, it's, like, one of the most famous clubs in the world. Christmas Day at Bergheim, that's hilarious. That was, like, a great time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that night made me totally fall in love with Berlin. It's going to be my home. If I may move move there in the fall. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So, to kind of wrap up here, um, if you had advice for upcoming singers, people that are wanting to do what you're doing, if they have their sights on being a professional opera singer, do you have any advice for those people?
1: Um, I would say like build a team. Like build a team of like your voice teacher and a coach and one or two friends that you know have brilliant opinions and that you can always trust to be real with you and use them, you mm-hmm. know? Let, if, they, if you need advice, text them. If you want them to hear something, record it and send it to them. Yeah. And like, know that like nobody will ever be as real with you as your team. If you feel like something isn't happening, if you feel like your career isn't moving, go to your team and help, and ask them to help you figure out why, yeah. you know? Because I feel like so much of this business is blowing smoke off each other's asses. Yes. Let's be honest. Like All the time. God, like if somebody's not sounding good, every, she's gonna walk off stage and everybody's still gonna go, oh my God, oh, you were fantastic. It was the best thing I've ever heard. Was the best I've ever heard. And you know what, and she's gonna go around thinking that until she doesn't get hired back. Right. And that's just an awful cycle, cycle that continues. And I'm young and I've already seen it happening, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, so who's she talking to that she actually trusts, you know? Yeah. And the answer is probably nobody. Right. You know, so use your team and also like, hold yourself accountable too. Yeah. You know, we have all the technology in the world now, use it. If you think that you're not good on stage, fix that, record yourself in rehearsal. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with setting up, I do this still, I do this a lot actually. I will set up an iPad and record myself in rehearsal mm-hmm. and I won't share it, but I want to see what I'm doing, you know, and you're your toughest critic. And if you can satisfy yourself, then you'll be able to satisfy everybody else. Yeah. You know? So be real with yourself and have people who will always be real with you. Yeah. You know? That's the best advice that I've come across. So I like far that. I think that's fantastic.
0: Well, thanks so much for taking the time and doing this little this little interview. Of course. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate it. For more information about today's guest, visit our website at operabizpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show with two interview episodes and two social media sound bites each month. You can find me directly on Instagram at ThebeardandLens, and the podcast Instagram is at OperaBiz. Thanks for listening to the OperaBiz podcast.